Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. Every Saturday morning at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Danielle Smith about a few of the issues of the day. But again, this is your opportunity to speak with the Premier directly, to ask your questions, voice your concerns. Whatever's on your mind, you can speak to the Premier one-on-one. Just please keep it short and respectful. All right, Premier Danielle Smith is ready and waiting to take your calls or texts. Uh, Those numbers, again, 403-974-8255 in Calgary and Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Premier Smith, I've got four issues this morning, which I hope to get to as as time permits during today's show. But, of course, our listeners will have their own topics and questions which have priority. So here's what's on my plate. Uh, The announcements this week from Finance Minister Travis Taves and Environment Minister Sonia Savage that they won't run in the provincial election. A report that Alberta may have to return $130 million in leftover funding for oil and gas well cleanup. Uh, The former ATB uh, Chief Economist Todd Hirsch report on the Heritage Savings Trust Fund and funding frustration from daycare operators. So, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking with you today. All right. Well, let's kick things off with the departures of your two key ministers. How much impact is this going to have on the UCP's performance in the election, which is now just 10 weeks away? I have to tell you, I've got great bench strength, and, but certainly I, that takes nothing away from the incredible performance of uh, Travis Taves and Sonia Savage over the last number of years. I think that when you look at the budget that ca- came down and the turmoil that uh, Minister Taves had to manage through with uh, massive increases and decreases in revenue sources and all the uncertainty, for him to be able to, to go through have, uh, and, pre- and present consecutive balanced budgets, bring through a fiscal framework that will set us up for the future with balanced budgets and a savings plan as well as making sure we we uh, we stay within operating uh, costs with uh, inflation and population I, I feel like he ticked off a lot of boxes and I'm grateful to him that he he, uh, he stayed as long as he did to make sure we got that last piece in place and Sonia Savage has done an amazing job first in uh, energy and now in environment she's really my point person on dealing with Ottawa and uh, my intention is to have the two of them stay right until election day because I, I such confidence that they'll be able to manage us through these last couple of months. Nevertheless, I think that timing kind of sucks, though. You know, it's it's going to have it's going to have an impact. Uh, did you have an inkling about these resignations? Well, I think Travis Taves made it very clear during the leadership when he was asked if he didn't win the leadership, if he would run. And he said, well, I reserve the right to make that decision later. And I, out of respect for the, the incredible amount of work he has done for our party and our province, I told him I wouldn't ask him again until after the budget was over. And as you saw, he uh, got his budget implementation bill passed on Thursday. And then we had a conversation. He told me that he and Kim had, had made the decision for him to, to go back to, to ranching life and to, and to family life. And I, and I respect that. And with Sonia... I'll, I know that she had a, a uh, she she'd been struggling with the decision for some time as well, and so I think she wanted to also to get through the the uh, the spring session and and make the decision that she did. So I, I'm grateful to both of them. I'm looking forward to finding out how we might be able to continue to use their incredible talents post election in an advisory role because I I think that they they've done so much for our province and I want to continue seeing the, seeing them to have an opportunity to contribute. All right. Now you previously announced a 100 million 
million pilot program to clean up orphan wells. But now there's a report out that Alberta may actually have to return $130 million in funding to the federal government because the money wasn't used like it was supposed to to clean up old oil and gas wells. Now, I'm not a math whiz by any means, but it looks like we already had the $100 million that your plan calls for if the federal program had been properly used. So what, what gives? What, what's going on there? I'll have to talk more with my um, my energy minister to understand why it is that we weren't able to to use all of those funds. I think I think part of it was the program got started a little bit late. Also, as you know, with the conditions that we have here, we have large uh, periods of time where, because of uh, ice and snow and frozen over, we we're, we're just not able to to uh, to do reclamation and abandonment. And so I think some of those were a factor. I know that um, our there's several indigenous companies that that really valued the program and if there's a way for us to continue to direct more money to those uh, to those uh, companies so that they can continue doing some of that work I think it's a, a negotiation and discussion that we'll have to have with the federal government the federal government remember granted a billion dollars for this program and so we um, have had 870 million worth of cleanup that was done as a result of that obviously it would have been great if we'd been able to have the the factors aligned to, to spend all of it but I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to have a constructive conversation with the federal government because there's such good work here that we want to make sure it continues. All right, let's get right to the phones. Uh, Chris has been hanging on since before the show started. Thank you, Chris, and welcome to the show. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Go ahead. Oh, good morning, um, Madam Premier. I, uh, I was originally going to ask you about mental health and addiction and that sort of thing, but I've changed my mind and I'm going to ask you something else. Um... Alberta has uh, a well cleanup liability in the range of 40 to 70 billion dollars and there's 268 million in tax liability owing to municipalities. Um, Norway has a sovereign wealth fund which is now sitting at about 1.262 trillion dollars and our heritage savings trust fund is 18 billion. I'm going to ask you whether you believe Albertans have been well served by successive progressive conservative governments, uh, with the exception of four years of NDP. They didn't do us any favors. Uh, have Albertans been well served by 40 or 50 years of conservative governments? We absolutely have been. You know, there's been rises and falls and things that have been beyond our control with the, the nature of the energy sector. And when I look back on our history with um, with Peter Lougheed and how he set us up with the Heritage Savings Trust Fund, and then we had a period of decline where debt uh, was accumulated, and then Ralph Klein came in and he paid off the debt without raising taxes. And then we had a, a period of, um, of multiple different governments, including the NDP, which racked up the uh, the debt again to over $80 billion. And now we've once again gotten to the other side of that with balanced budgets, and we've made a substantial payment down on the debt again, and we've got a savings plan for the future. So I uh, I, uh, I feel like we can do better, which is why... 
when I got in, I made it a priority to put in a fiscal framework that we absolutely had to limit year-over-year spending increases on operations to inflation plus population growth. We absolutely had to make debt repayment a, um, a priority. We had to have a proper contingency planning because that's one thing that happens. We always have this in-year spending, which ends up uh, causing us to go over budget. And we have to start keeping the investment income in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund so that it will grow. Um, I would have done these things 20 years ago if I, if I if it had been my way, but you know the next best time to start is now. And so that's why this budget was so darn important, is that now that we're in a period where we may have surpluses for the foreseeable future, we've got to make sure that we've got a structure in place so that we plan for it. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about uh, looking forward and building on the legacy that we've had in the past with a, a couple of great premiers. All right. Uh, Lyle is on hold, and we're going to get to Lyle next, uh, simply because it uh, dovetails very nicely with your last comment and, uh, and our first caller. Uh, on the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. But we're going to pause for a break first. I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith. More of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are indeed listening to Your Province, Your Premier. Heard every Saturday morning for listeners throughout our wonderful province in Edmonton on 630 Chad, right here on QR Calgary. Your opportunity to be heard by Premier Danielle Smith. All right, just before the break, I promised that we would go to Lyle first. Uh, Lyle has a question on the NDP ads. Uh, go ahead, Lyle. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning, Premier Smith. Could you please address the ads that the NDP are running saying that you're going to bring in user fees for doctors' visits and that you support Russia in this war that's going on? I'd be happy to. Happy to. Thanks, Lyle. Uh, in the first case, the Canada Health Act is, makes it uh, illegal to um, to charge any any uh, fees for doctors' visits or for hospitals. Because if, if we do that, then we lose the uh, the federal partnership money. And I think they're giving us somewhere in the order of five to six billion dollars a year for healthcare. And I would never put Albertans at risk of losing those dollars. And so the context that I have always talked about in empowering people to um, to pay for the the things that aren't covered by healthcare, and there's a ton of different services not covered by healthcare, is you know chiropractic and um, foot doctors. When you look at acupuncture, uh, when you look at uh, dentistry, um, some of the co-payments that you have to pay for pharmaceuticals, medical devices. There's a whole range of things. One of the things that I, I learned when I was in politics last time is that politicians have a health spending account, and it's $900, and it pays for all of the things that aren't covered by healthcare. And I thought, well, why is it that taxpayers are asked to pay for this? For politicians, shouldn't we have a similar type of approach so that taxpayers have the ability to pay for those things as well so they're not paying 100% out of pocket? So my health spending account idea is really about creating a more comprehensive system to give a little bit of assistance so that people can, can pay for some of those preventative types of, of services. That's number one. Uh, the second one is, look, there was a lot of conjecture about how we might be able to stop the invasion of Russia into Ukraine. And uh, once the invasion happened, we have been in uh, standing foursquare with our Ukrainian friends in helping to ensure that those who are fleeing that regime and that terrible circumstance have safe haven here. We have now welcomed over 26,000 Ukrainian evacuees into Alberta. Uh, Jackie Armstrong Hominick has led a task force for me. She's done an extraordinary amount of work coordinating over 200 different social agencies throughout Alberta to make sure that it's seamless. Just last week, we announced 
a helpline so that there is a single point of access for people to get support in the Ukrainian language so that they can get access to rental support and so that we can connect them with housing so that we can get the kids in school learning English as a second language as well as connect to that first job. So I'm I'm really proud of the of the work our government has done in providing the support and we stand ready to do more. I've heard estimates that we may have to be prepared that this war is going to continue for a long period of time and that as many as 50 or 60,000 additional newcomers might be coming Alberta's way. So we're going to make sure that we're monitoring this and that we're providing every assistance that we can to our, our Ukrainian friends. John has texted in from Calgary asking if you continue to support the uh, Alberta Pension Plan initiative. I want to see what the final report looks like. The, the numbers that I saw in the initial report look promising, but they're three years old. And so we had a discussion um, and the, the finance minister's recommendation and the caucus recommendation was to wait until the final report is available. Doesn't sound like it's going to be updated until May. As soon as it's available, uh, we'll release it to the public and start the conversation. And remember, we got direction from Albertans through the Fair Deal panel. Albertans asked us to do this work. So we did do this work and we think it's up to Albertans. The Fair Deal panel also said if there's any changes at all, it has to be put to a referendum. And that's what I've committed to. So let's see what the report says, have the broad-based discussion and see whether uh, Albertans want to have a referendum on it. And then if any decision is going to be made, it would be put to the people. It's, um, it's their pension and it's going to be their choice. All right, follow up to our first caller this morning, and uh, this has to do with spending uh, on the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. Uh, former ATB chief economist Todd Hirsch is out with a report, an eight-point plan. Uh, seems to make sense to me, but uh, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, what are we going to do with the Heritage Saving Trust Fund? Because it really hasn't lived up to its potential uh, when Premier Lougheed created it back in the 70s. Yeah, I mean, the fiscal framework that Travis Taves put in place um, does a lot of the things that uh, that Todd has, has recommended. So I'm glad to see that uh, that we're in sync. I mean, one of the things that, that we made sure that we did and is to do more than inflation-proofing on that Heritage Savings Trust Fund. We want to keep all of the investment income in that fund so that it grows. And the, the finance minister in our most recent budget put an, an additional $2 billion in the fund so that we could really accelerate that growth. So, uh, and the reason we want to do that is that uh, Minister Taves did a, a look. If we had done this type of approach from the very beginning and inception of the fund, it would now be worth $300 billion today. And it would be generating $20 billion dollars worth of investment income. So as he likes to say, the, you know, the best time to have done it might have been 30 years ago, but the next best time to do it is now. So that's what we're doing. Uh, we are going to build up the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. We think that this is the perfect time to be able to do it. The other thing I'd mention is that we also have a very similar surplus uh, strategy that we've now put into law, uh, which is 50% of surpluses have to go to debt repayment. So we've prioritized debt, which is one of the recommendations he had. And then we have some flexibility so that a certain percentage will go into savings and a certain percentage will be available for one-time spending that cannot increase the uh, overall operating spending. So I, I would say that that's pretty in sync too. So we have the opportunity to continue to invest in savings. We've got to balance both because remember, we're paying $3 billion a year in um, in finance charges. The the NDP uh, ran up the debt to about $80 billion when we, before we ended up coming into government. And so we're paying $3 billion a year in finance charges. We want to pay down that debt so those dollars also become available for operating. So we're, we're doing a balance between the two of them. But I, I think that 
people want a legacy to leave behind to kids and grandkids, and the Heritage Savings Trust Fund is the perfect vehicle for it. So we're, I'm glad to say we're, we're already getting started. All right. George has texted in. He says, please prove that you don't screen difficult questions from being asked. And here is his question. Premier, at current oil and gas prices with a 2023-24 fiscal year starting April 1st, is it true that reduced revenues would leave Alberta with a deficit of 4 to $6 billion? Will you cut spending in light of these low prices or run up the deficit and debt if prices stay far below the buffet's optimistic projection protections of 79 U.S. Uh, dollars a barrel and 410 uh, Canadian uh, gigajoule? Well, here's the thing. We, when we got the projections from the private sector, uh, Minister Taves built in an extra measure of prudence, and he he said he reduced it by by about five dollars relative to what uh, the the the, uh, the experts were predicting. There's a lot of volatility in this market. It's been a little bit lower. It's been a little bit higher. Part of the uncertainty right now is that we've been watching some of the banks that are are lending money to to tech uh, companies fail, like the Silicon Valley Bank went under and then there's been a couple that have followed. And that creates volatility in the market until people figure out whether this is going to be a, a, a more chronic problem and a widespread problem. And I don't think we know the answer to that, that yet. yet. But, but do know, I mean, we have... A, a plan in place that we have to run a balanced budget. The only condition is that if our revenues dramatically reduce over what is budgeted, and even if that, that does happen, we can only run a, a deficit temporarily. We've got to get back into surpluses within two years. We've got a little bit of a buffer because of the Alberta fund that we've created. It's kind of like a temporary bank account uh, so that we want to make sure that as surpluses firm up, we want to wait to make surplus spending decisions until the end of the year. We've got a 1.5 billion contingency built into the budget, so I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good that um, we'll just continue watching, and people should have some confidence that we've put together a plan. It's part of the reason why we wanted to be modest in our year-over-year -year increases. We kept our year-over increases well below inflation and population growth, growth just to build in that extra measure of prudence. And I think that the finance minister did a good job of, of having that balance. All right, Al is uh, calling in from Edmonton. Uh, we'll get to that phone call right now. Al, you're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hello, everybody. Uh, my question is about uh, Harper's recent um, uh, article, kind of uh, comments around a need for a conservative renaissance. And I wonder if the obstacle for having this conservative renaissance at the federal and at the provincial level is kind of what your predecessor, Kenny, alluded to about um, there's kind of a hijacking of conservatism by these far right, maybe neo-fascists, maybe some quackery views, Trumpian views, um, and also kind of these economic plans saying they're populist, but really, um, what are they really doing for the ordinary person? So I wonder what gets your kind of thoughts and feelings about Harper's uh, conservative re renaissance when it does seem that uh, the far right has hijacked the conservatives at the federal and provincial level. Thank you. I guess I disagree. I mean, I, I think when I look at my, my caucus and the people who've gotten uh, elected and nominated with us, we, I mean, we all share a, a common goal. One of the goals is to make sure that we're offering a fiscally conservative and fiscally prudent platform that people know that we're living within our means. People want to see us 
make continue to attract jobs um, and and improve the economy, and it's working. I mean, under the former government, there were 13 quarters of decline, people leaving the province. We now have record influx of, of people coming here, and that to me is a sign that people like what's going on here. They like the opportunity. We uh, have an uh, affordability uh, proposition that is second to none. When you look at what's happening in the rest of the country, our inflation levels are lower because of the affordability payments that we put in and the price protections for electricity and gas. Uh, and uh, we're also embarking on a plan to very carefully uh, fix the health care system. We've, uh, we appointed Mauro Kias now as our permanent CEO. He's going to give great leadership with, uh, with Dr. John helping to guide him uh, so that we can reduce emergency wait times, we can reduce ambulance uh, wait times, and we can clear that, start clearing that surgical backlog. I mean, those are the things that I care about. Those are the things that my caucus cares about. Those are the things that we're working on. I don't know that any of those would be characterized the way you describe them. And, and, and to me, the conservative renaissance that I'm talking about is how do we apply our values to how we deliver government programs? How do we make sure that uh, we're being innovative and that we're, we're allowing for local decision-making and local accountability? If we can, if we can uh, unlock some of that innovation, I think we're really going to do an amazing job on that. So I guess I just, um, I, I'm not sure what, what, uh, about what former Prime Minister Harper was referring to, but I, but I think that we've got to stay focused on making sure we're delivering the programs that Albertans care about. My, my caucus is 100% in alignment on that. All right, uh, Will is calling in from uh, Rockford Bridge on carbon capture. Go ahead, Will. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yeah, hi, good morning. I'm just uh, curious is about uh, the carbon capture and storage projects you have going on. And with more earthquakes happening in Alberta, can you tell me, I'm concerned that will these earthquakes have any effect uh, and disrupt these carbon capture facilities? Like, will it have a risk of releasing all that carbon back into the atmosphere? Well, Will, thanks for the, the question. I mean, I'll, I'll talk to um, our geologists about that, but I think it's part of the, the reason why we've been quite deliberate in identifying the areas that are going to be these carbon hubs. Not, a, not every uh, area of the province is going to be able to, to capture CO2 and, and keep it safely stored. So the, there are, are a couple of projects that have been um, already, uh, that are already in practice, but we, we're talking about prospectively, that there's going to be a number of different pipelines that get built out and a number uh, to take the, the CO2 to some of these, these uh, deep geologic formations so that what you're identifying doesn't happen because we want to make sure that it's captured permanently. There are other things that can be done with CO2. There are projects where they're capturing CO2 and pumping it into greenhouses so that the greenhouses are able to use the pure stream of CO2. There's other projects that, uh, like carbon upcycling, they're capturing the CO2 and embedding it into uh, cement so that it can make stronger concrete. There's other proposals for how it can be used to make industrial chemicals and plastics and carbon nanofiber. So I think we're going to see that there's a whole variety of ways that the, the captured CO2 can be used. And, and I, I think your concern is valid, but, uh, but I, I can tell you that's part of the reason we're being so deliberate in identifying the spaces for capture. All right, we're going to go to Daryl in Diamond Valley. So this is the amalgamation of former Turner Valley and Black Diamond. So Daryl, welcome to the show from your new combined municipality. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning, Madam Premier. 
I've got a question regarding what happened in Edmonton uh, a week ago. Uh, the young fellow that was involved, about a month previously, he was picked up by the Edmonton City Police on a mental health board. You're talking about the, uh, the officer shooting, correct, Daryl? That's right. Now, the fellow was picked up and took it to a health facility. Now, I'm wondering, did they do a mental health uh, check upon him? And maybe they should have detained him, and maybe what happened would have not happened. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, our health facilities are busy, but I think somebody maybe missed something there and let him back out on the street when they shouldn't have. Thanks for that, Daryl. It's it's such a tragedy um, to have lost two officers the way we did, and uh, this this young person clearly, because of what you just described, had mental health issues. Our legislation under the Mental Health Act only allows for somebody to be detained for 72 hours. It's it's just part of the the legislative framework that we have, and it, it's very clear that uh, this particular individual uh, uh, needed more mental health assessment and treatment because of what he ended up going on to do this is this is uh, we're, we're gonna we're going to honor the the two fallen officers on Monday and then have a further conversation after that event about what we need to do about these kind of instances mental health drug addiction and the public disorder that we're seeing on the streets these are interconnected and we've got to do more to make sure people feel safe all right, uh, Al is calling in from Calgary on a parental rights and school issue. Let me make sure I get the right button pushed here. Go ahead, Al, you're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for uh, taking my call. Um, just wanted to say that I hope you win a very broad mandate. Um, and I hope that uh, you uh, find a way to continue to link uh, the NDP here with their federal leaders who, you know, are kingmakers in this case and could be doing... Uh, the work in person a favor but obviously they're siding with the elites um my question though is specific to parental rights um a daughter of uh sorry i'm father of two young girls and i worry about you know um their prospects especially in school and in sports and in washrooms um and in public places um we've seen that incident in ontario where um there was that teacher that had you know the the oversized you know breast situation Subsequently, you know, um, there was bomb threats and a bit of upheaval and, you know, apparent rebellion um, dominated the news cycle, obviously. And obviously the school boards um, and the schools themselves have become, you know, the, the center of these culture wars in a way. Um, and it seems like the school board sided with the teacher. Um, and we continue to seem to cater policy. We've seen this again recently in Virginia where there was a basketball team that refused to play against the trans player and they were expelled from from all competition essentially and that school had 84 um athletic female students and essentially they ruled in favor of one person well really what they did is they made a political choice in favor of one person over a large group sure and your question uh Al? well i want to know what kind of rights we should expect on these kind of fronts i mean it's coming i i know these these are sensitive and you know politically um you know uh dangerous kind of you know grounds but we, I would like to know what kind of rights we will have as parents um, to, you know, withdraw our kids from school or hold them back or to, um, again, you see you see that school board meetings in the U.S. are, are the center of these, these, these culture wars currently. Um, 
in, in Ontario, they ruled in favor of the teachers. So what kind of rights will we have as parents to, to say, no, thank you, or we're not interested, or we reserve the right not to? Um, okay, well, let's, let's let uh, of, Premier of, Danielle of, Smith answer sure, the question now. Well, one of the things I would say is that, I mean, we're, we're watching what's happening across the province and around the world. And we're, I can only control what happens within our, our own borders. And one of the things that happened a few years ago, you may recall, is just the horrific story of the Michael Gregory teacher case. It came to light in December of uh, two years ago. And Albertans were outraged that we learned that the AT did not report to the police the results of their investigation, despite the fact that they found that there was physical and emotional abuse of students. So that caused us to create a brand new process for reforming teacher professional discipline. We now have a process where uh, the, it's, it's going to be independent from the ATA so that if there is any issue that parents have, they can bring it forward and now we have an independent process to assess it. So I hope that that gives one indication. Let's, let's not presume that all the things that we read about on social media and other parts of the country or other parts of the world are happening here. Let's focus on the issues that we hear about here and have the teacher discipline process available and ready for that. That would be one. But the second thing is, in Alberta, we've always taken the view that we believe in parental choice in education. It's why we have public school, Catholic school, we've got charter schools, we've got a new charter hub that's being built in, uh, in Calgary so that we can incubate uh, new types of charter schools and new approaches. We've got independent schools, we've got homeschooling. And we, we're going to continue to support that choice because if uh, parents have any concerns whatsoever uh, about how the school aligns with what it is they want um, uh, taught in the home, then we've got to be able to, to give parents the right to be able to have those different options so those are the two ways that that we're making sure that kids are protected here all right let's uh, switch gears we're going to go to the text lines uh, pam has a question regarding solar farms uh, she says it's very concerning to know that solar projects are being considered on productive farmland in southern alberta more specifically the blackie area given the history with the orphan well association the inevitable cleanup of a solar project at the end of its life cycle is overwhelming how can we as citizens get our voice heard to not allow good, viable, productive farmland to be taken out of production for solar projects? Pam, your voice has been heard, trust me. From uh, When I started in landowner advocacy back in 1997, that was one of my, my, my biggest, the biggest piece of feedback that I got from those who are, who are working our land as producers is that we, we can't keep allowing beautiful, arable farmland to be eaten up for a variety of purposes. At that time, it was more about development. In the meantime, I found out about the problem of inactive wells and the fact that we haven't cleaned those up. It's why I've made that such a priority as well. And we are going to be forcing uh, the companies to, to clean up 3% of their liability every year. That's $740 million a year to help dig into that $30 billion um, liability that we have for cleanup. Um, and so this is what I needed to do. We needed to make sure that our oil and natural gas industry was uh, responsibly reclaiming the land. Now, well, if you look at my mandate letters that I gave to my ministers responsible, we have to apply the similar type of approach to, to wind and solar. Because when you look at what um, what we have in the oil and natural gas industry, we have a situation where the entire industry as a whole pays for the liability if a company goes under. Who pays if a solar company goes under or a wind turbine company goes under? Who pays to remove that from the land at the end? I think that's an unanswered question and we need to answer it. because And maybe what we need to do is have some kind of indemnity so that at the beginning of the process, there's money set aside each year so that when the project is over,
There's money sitting in a pot so that it can be used for cleanup. That's one of the things I want to do some consultation on. But we also have to be a lot more deliberate about where these projects go. And I can tell you where I'm, where I'm thinking the, the, that makes the most sense for solar projects is on the rooftop of all of our major buildings in Calgary and Edmonton. I know, for instance, the West Edmonton Mall, they would love to put solar panels on, on West Edmonton Mall, and it would be probably the biggest solar installation in the world. So those are the kind of things that I think we've got to be a little bit more creative. I, I share Pam's view that, because I drive past a solar farm every time I'm in my riding in Brooks. And I can tell you it's been winter for the last six months and it's been covered in ice and snow. I bet it hasn't generated very much power at all. And, and that we've got a lot of, lot of uh, we've got a lot of land, uh, Premier Smith, that, uh, well, not a lot of land, but there are certain great patches of it that is alkali soil where it's not good for, for farming. You've got it. And so why not identify those areas where we're not going to be losing food production? The other thing we have to consider is we want to be ex uh, expanding our irrigation, our, our land under irrigation. Once you put these kind of installations on irrigated land, then you're losing value there. So those are the things that I think we have to be a bit de more deliberate about. Uh, we, we're very deliberate about where we put, about environmental assessments whenever we put other types of projects in. I think another layer of assessment we have to do is, is this farmland so highly productive that we don't want to sterilize it? And that's, uh, that's something I want to start consulting on. All right. Uh, Kim has a question from Calgary on the wells. Go ahead, Kim. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm just wondering, where does the public freely access the published data regarding spending of the $1 billion gifted to the province for the well cleanup, since this is actually taxpayer-funded? Um, the, uh, the data should actually probably include the location, the date drilled, uh, the date uh, that it was left, the number of years inactive, number of years um, active, the name of the company that walked away from the cleanup, and the name of the company receiving the actual government check for the cleanup. Where would mm. the public access that data since it is our, our money being used? That's a great question. So the, the, the well site program, the site rehabilitation program, was a billion dollars that came in from the federal government. It was about right, three years ago. It was, about, it was taxpayer money, and it came in at a time when the industry was uh, really in, facing hard times, and we knew that we had this liability, and the federal government partnered with us to see if we could use it as a bit of a, a job creation measure. And I think it was well appreciated, and it really kick-started the, uh, the reclamation industry, which is why the government then moved to making it mandatory that companies have to use their own money to clean up every year. So I, I take your point about wanting to have a better idea of where so it's you've heard that 130 million um didn't get uh, spent because they ran out of time on doing those projects i i, I gather that our, our our energy minister has written a letter to see if we can just get a little bit more time so that we can continue to do that reclamation but this still means that there's 870 million that has been spent and how about i circle back with the energy minister and the um, the albert energy regulator and see if there is a way that we can make that data available to you i think it's a i think it's a great suggestion and i, I like that for level of transparency. So let me see what I can do on that. It's a it's a good idea. Alberta's Auditor General, uh, Premier Smith, also uh, had um, a news release this week uh, seeking reform to how the province manages oil patch liabilities. And I think that goes hand in hand with uh, with our caller's concern. 
I think it does, and and I must say, like we've already gotten started on this because, as I as I said, I used when I was on the air, I used to do ton of segments on abandoned wells and inactive wells and the Orphan Well Association, trying to understand just how big the liability was. So I've been very concerned about this for a, a long period of time. I'm glad that we've seen a kickstart to the industry that is doing all of the well site reclamation. That's great that that first billion dollars that came in really started that industry going but now we're going to have to mandate every year that uh, a minimum this year 740 million will be spent it's going to increase year after year and ultimately we're going to clear off that liability so I it may it may well be that since that program just came into place this year that we've uh, we, we've taken the auditor general's approach seriously I'll, I'll continue to look to see if there's other things that we can do but this is going to make a major difference in getting that liability cleared all right, we're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Welcome back to Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson with you. This is your opportunity to speak with Danielle Smith, Premier Danielle Smith, one-on-one. -on -one. If you've got that specific question you'd like the Premier to answer, the numbers to phone or text are 974-8255 in Calgary and Edmonton, 780-496-0063. We've got a lot of texts We've got a lot of phone calls. We're not going to get to everybody. Uh, I'm going to try to do my best. So we're going to go to a text line first. Uh, Premier Smith, this is uh, Ty, says, My spouse has been on the wait list for a hernia operation for eight months now, was told not to expect a call from a surgeon until end of summer, and he'll be lucky if the surgery is done by the end of October. That's 19 months for something that can be life-threatening if it becomes strangulated. Please explain how the health care system has improved according to statements that you've made. Well, let me tell you what happened. I mean, there's a... Uh I've been in I've been in the position since October. We hired Dr. John in November, and we did our thirty our ninety day update. And I can tell you one of the things that they that they discovered is that we have to focus in on the number of people who are on the surgical wait list who are waiting longer than rep medically recommended. And it sounds like Ty is an example of, of a person who falls in that category. Sadly, that's about thirty nine thousand people who were on that waiting list when we first did our assessment of how many people were waiting. Um, when I talked to, to um, in our 90-day update, we'd gotten that down to 35,000, and I just spoke with Dr. John this morning, and he thinks we'll be down to 32,000 by the end of this month, at the, by the end of March. He's just getting his final figures in. So what you can see is that we're, we're whittling away that, that backlog, about 3,000 surgeries a month, and uh, if we continue at this rate, that backlog will be cleared completely by this time next year. So what we've done is that we, we have brought in uh, charter surgical centers embedded directly into our healthcare system so that we're able to increase the capacity that of surgeries we're able to do. We get about 20% 20 of our surgeries now are being done in charter, charter surgical centers. At the same time, we're increasing the capacity of our hospitals. Uh, we had about 55 operating rooms that weren't in use and so Dr. John and, and uh, the team at AHS has done an assessment and we are bringing those operating rooms back into service as well. I, I wish we could have made more progress in the you know three or four months that, I, that I've uh, been uh, working on this but I can tell you it's going in the right direction. I, I feel feel badly for what Ty is going through. There's too many Albertans that are waiting that long. That's why we are highly motivated to be the very first province to completely eliminate the, uh, the, the surgical backlog and make sure every single patient is getting their care within a medically accepted period of time, a medically reasonable period of time, and we're going to achieve it. 
Okay, Murray has been hanging on uh, for about 20 minutes. Murray's calling in from Edmonton on a freedom of speech question. Go ahead, Murray. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning, Wayne. Good morning, Good morning, Premier Smith. I'm assuming hey, Premier Smith. Hi, Premier Smith. Do you believe in freedom of speech? And here's my statement. Social media. Should politicians be able to block people on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc.? Seems like your media team does that a lot. Again, do you believe in freedom of speech? And should politicians be able to block people on social media? Thank you. Have a great day. Oh, well, thanks for that, Marie. You know, I guess uh, I, I leave it to my to my media team who uh, to, to make the decision if somebody's being abusive because, you know what, I don't abuse people when I talk to them and I don't think that people should abuse me when they talk to me either. And unfortunately, sometimes on social media, people um, swear and cuss and are ignorant and call names. And I don't think anybody should have to put up with that, quite frankly. So as long as people are engaging me, with me respectfully, you, those of you who know me from my time on radio, um, that's the, the way I have always approached people, even when I disagree with them. I would just say, let's keep it civil. And then uh, no, no politicians are going to have to, to worry about, about blocking anyone. Okay, let's move on to uh, John in Calgary with a work week question. Go ahead, John. Hi. Hi. I've been working on this work week thing for quite some time. It comes to mind that nothing happens until somebody buys something. The people that buy something are people that are working. So if we have reduced our, or changed our work week and used uh, the excess income tax going to Ottawa and the uh, uh, employment benefits from long weekends, and uh, all of that extra cash would be floating around by hiring more people or extending their overtime benefits, you would uh, come out with a, a net loss of zero, and uh, everybody having uh, extra days to spend their money at uh, leisure activities. Well, John, thanks for the suggestion. I know that uh, surprisingly the Fraser Institute was suggesting that a few years ago of going down to a, a four-day work week. And I don't know if that is, has really caught on anywhere, but I, I think what we are seeing with the modified work schedules and people choosing to take part in the gig economy, people are making their decision about what kind of balance they want, the number of hours that they want to work versus the number of hours that they want for leisure. I, I tend to not be prescriptive on, th on those things. I tend to like to make as many options available to as many people as possible. And if, uh, if anyone hears of any company that has switched to a four-day work week, I'd be quite interested in, in seeing that because I'd, I'd love to know what their experience with it is. The, um, we have a, the opposite problem, I would say, in Alberta right now. We have 100,000 jobs that are unfilled because uh, because the companies can't find qualified workers. It's part of the reason for our, our Alberta is calling campaign is that we want to be continuing to attract people from all over the province uh, or all over the country as well as around the world to make sure that we continue to, ke to keep the economy growing strong and that we continue to produce more goods. Which
produces more products to purchase, which produces more revenue for government and uh, allows for us to, to continue to grow in stature in the country. So I think I might be in a bit of a different place than you, John, because we I know that I know from the employers that we have that they're sure looking for more people to, to fill some of those some of those open positions. Forty-six thousand new people to Alberta in the last quarter of 2022. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> here's my here's my last issue that I wanted to address, and I'll get to the uh, to the phones and text. Alberta daycare operators, uh, Premier Smith, are upset that the province has not yet given them key details on funding for the next fiscal year, even though the current agreement expires in a week. So. Uh, there's a bit of lack of clarity. They're getting frustrated. What's the story? What's your response? You know what? I'll, I'll take that back to our, our children's services, Mickey Amory, to see. We, we had a big fight with Ottawa. Ottawa wanted to prevent us from allowing any private operators from being able to expand. They have this ideology that everything had to be nonprofit, whereas in our, in our environment, we've got um, about 70% of our daycares are being provided by women entrepreneurs and a lot of immigrant entrepreneurs. So we fought, fought that out with, with Ottawa at the end of the year when I got elected so that we could have parity, so that we were able to expand expand not only uh, nonprofit spaces but also uh, private sector spaces so we're we're uh, it, it may be that that the delay is simply because we had this uh, this engagement with the federal government it's ongoing and once that work is done the uh, current grant formula is going to continue. We just wanted to make sure that it was available to a greater range of, of service providers. So I'll, I'll follow up with uh, Mickey Amory and hopefully have a little bit more clarity for you next week. Okay, we've got lots of topics that we're just not going to be able to get to today. A lot more on the solar panel uh, issue, the backlash there. Um, I want to end the show, however, with this question. Premier Smith, it's John. Uh, in the service dog, I'm about to put in his third human rights complaint for being denied access to the Calgary Courthouse. I sent you an email October 31st asking for your assistance to get into the courthouse. I'm presuming John has that service dog and has been denied access, so I'll let you take it. I remember talking to John about this years ago, and I'm sorry that it hasn't been resolved yet. Uh, let me, let me um, I'll have to circle back and, and check with our Justice Minister or uh, just a, uh, it may actually be our minister Mike Ellis to, to find out what the what the policy would be. I, I think we have to. There's people have service dogs for a whole variety of reasons, um, a lot of PTSD, a lot of, um, of, of physical men, uh, physical conditions that require that. So I think we have to have a, a, a policy that allows for people to to keep that um, important companion with them. So I'll I'll see why there are barriers still making that happen. Sorry about that, John. I think it has to do with the definition of a service dog as well. There's certain uh, animals that fall under the uh, the human rights uh, access uh, accessibility so uh, you're looking into that I'm wrapping up thank you for joining us again Premier Smith it's been a pleasure thanks Wayne we'll see you next week hey it's my birthday next week just uh, just no no April Fool's Day next, jokes all right next Saturday is your birthday it is no right. April Fool's Day jokes okay <laughs> I promise I promise thank you we'll, t we'll thanks, talk Wayne. to you you bet you bet, you've bye. been listening bye. to your province your premier